Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. What is the difference between policy and doctrine in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. If you have a copy of the December 2021 edition of the Liahona Magazine, I want to bring to your attention page 27. There's an interesting little article there. This article is tied in to the Come Follow Me curriculum that Latter-day Saints are going through right now. And in this particular portion, it's going to deal with official declarations one and two. Across from that, at the top of the page, it says, Why does church policy sometimes change? Now, first of all, Eric, we should probably explain to our listeners, if they're not aware, what are official declarations one and two? They can be found at the back of the Doctrine and Covenants. They are not numbered with the Doctrine and Covenants. They're given a special title, as this article says, it's official declaration, and there happens to be two of them. The first official declaration is really nothing more than a press release. It's not a revelation, but it was put together by the leadership of the church. It was signed by Wilford Woodruff, who was the fourth president of the LDS Church. And then after it, there is some excerpts from three addresses that were given by the fourth president, Wilford Woodruff, regarding the manifesto. And he explains why this manifesto or this announcement that they were no longer going to be practicing plural marriage. And in this statement, in Official Declaration 1, Wilford Woodruff explains that press dispatches having been sent for political purposes from Salt Lake City, which have been widely published to the effect that the Utah Commission, in their recent report to the Secretary of the Interior, allege that plural marriages are still being solemnized and that 40 or more such marriages have been contracted in Utah since last June and during the past year. So what Wilford Woodruff is going to do in this declaration is try to put the federal government at ease by letting them know that the practice of plural marriage was no longer going on. Now, he uses the statement, contracted in Utah. Well, we know for a fact, and the church has since admitted this, that they were actually allowing members of the church to take on more than one wife, even after this promise was made to the federal government. So you could say, that Wolford Woodruff was certainly not telling the truth, at least not the whole truth, maybe a part of the truth, which from what I understand in an LDS context is still a lie. In order to get statehood, this was one of the conditions. They would have to abandon the practice of plural marriage in order to become a state. 
The question is, and I think this is bringing it up on page 27 of the December 2021 Liahona, does the practice of plural marriage really mean the doctrine of plural marriage? And this is where it gets really sticky, folks. It can become very confusing very quickly. And quite honestly, Eric, I think the LDS church leadership wants it to be confusing. But when you start looking at some of the particulars, we see that this whole page here is, in my opinion, just another classic example of obfuscation. They're not being totally clear with the membership. I said this to you before we started recording, how my heart goes out to the LDS people because they are fed this kind of stuff. And I think the leadership hopes they don't really do dig into it any deeper than what we find in just a paragraph here on page 27 of this edition of Liahona. Yeah, let me read what they have underneath official declarations one and two. This is what it says. In the last 200 years, the Lord has revealed many truths to his prophets. Some revelations lead to policy changes, such as those found in the official declarations. Adjustments are a natural part of the true and living church. However, doctrine, the foundational eternal truths of the gospel, never changes. This visual helps us see the relationship between church policy and doctrine. And then it has a picture of a tree, and if you can look this up yourself and go to the December 2021 Leahona Magazine, page 27, you ought to look at this, because on the uh, tree itself, it says, Gospel doctrine is eternal and unchanging and comes from the Godhead. The doctrine informs church policies and practices. And underneath are the roots of what that stands for. And then off to the left, it says, just as the roots are the means by which a tree receives life, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost give spiritual life to the plan of salvation. And to the right of the tree, it says, the gospel, revelation, and the priesthood come from the Godhead. But what is most telling is at the very top of that green section, underneath where it says, why does church policy sometimes change? It says, church policy is guided by doctrine, but is subject to adjustments as revealed by the Lord to his prophet. Like the branches of a tree, policy grows or adjusts as guided by doctrine and by revelation. While still inspired, policy is not eternal like church doctrine. Bill, what got me when I was reading this magazine, and I do read the Leahona magazine on a monthly basis, and I stopped and I knew what they were trying to do because based on what they wrote underneath official declarations, they're trying to make it appear that official declarations one and two were not necessarily uh, talking about doctrines, which are regarding polygamy and those of African heritage holding the priesthood. But when it says underneath official declarations one and two, some revelations lead to policy changes, polygamy and the issue of the, the priesthood are not policies, never were considered policies, but rather were doctrines. I think we can easily show that this week. Well, let, let's just talk about Declaration 1, because I'm getting the impression here that in order to excuse the abandonment of the practice of polygamy, are we to assume now that the practice of polygamy was merely the policy 
that was tied to the doctrine of plural marriage. You cannot deny that plural marriage was a doctrine. But really, how do you live out the doctrine? See, Latter-day Saints are always told it's one thing to believe a doctrine, but you must live out the doctrine. Otherwise, it really doesn't matter if you believe the doctrine at all. I could use that analogy with tithing. Most Latter-day Saints believe in the law of tithing. It's a doctrine. But do you think you would get the benefits of celestial exaltation if you didn't practice the law of tithing? You see, Brigham Young tied the doctrine of plural wives with the practice of plural marriage. How would that go over in a Temple Recommend interview if they say, well, do you do you practice the doctrine of uh, tithing? Well, no, I don't practice the, the doctrine, but I believe the doctrine is true. I just don't practice it. They go together. If the doctrine is true, you're supposed to practice it. And absolutely, that is the case when it comes to the practice of plural marriage. Let me give you an example. This is Brigham Young. Brigham Young gave a talk on November 29th, 1868. If you want to look it up, it's Journal of Discourses, Volume 12, page 312. He was talking about women in the church that were a bit reluctant to enter into celestial marriage. Now, why would anyone be reluctant to practice celestial marriage? Because celestial marriage today is defined as marriage for time and eternity. But that's not how Brigham Young defined it. He says this, I want to say this much. The sisters do believe it. Where is the proof? You take a woman in this church who does not believe in the doctrine of celestial marriage or plurality of wives, and she does not believe anything at all about the gospel, and she will soon manifest this by her unwise course, and by and by she drops off and away she goes. Notice what Brigham Young did. He makes it a synonymous term, plurality of wives, is synonymous with celestial marriage. They were one and the same. Now, if you believed in the doctrine of a plurality of wives, but you didn't practice it, is that the policy? Because that's what was changed by the manifesto in 1890. But we know to this very day, the doctrine of a plurality of wives is still very much a doctrine in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It's just not practiced the way it was in the 19th century. And the next sentence goes on, and Young says, but our sisters believe and know that this doctrine is true, and consequently, they feel bound to abide it. If it was a doctrine, it was supposed to be practiced, and that is what he's criticizing, people who don't want to follow what a celestial marriage is all about. Let me show you, though, this would change after a while, because as I mentioned, Latter-day Saints often use the phrase celestial marriage today. And if you look at a statement that was in the amnesty petition to the President of the United States, now this was December 19th, 1891. This was a little bit over a year after the manifesto was issued in September of 1890. Wilford Woodruff, George Q. Cannon, and Joseph F. Smith. This is a message from the First Presidency of the Church. We formally taught our people that polygamy, or celestial marriage, as commanded by God through Joseph Smith, was right, that it was a necessity to man's highest exaltation in the life to come. 
The doctrine was publicly promulgated by our president, the late Brigham Young, 40 years ago, and was steadily taught and impressed upon the Latter-day Saints up to a short time before September 1890. Notice that these three men, the First Presidency, at this time, December of 1891, were equating polygamy or celestial marriage. Now, let me show you what happens later on. In 1914, we have another statement that's put out by then-President Heber J. Grant, who, by the way, was the last LDS president to practice polygamy. It was signed by Heber J. Grant, Anthony Ivins, J. Reuben Clark, and it's dated January 31st, 1914. Celestial marriage, that is, marriage for time and eternity, and polygamous or plural marriage are not synonymous terms. Eric, that is a classic case of gaslighting. Now, Heber J. Grant, the last president of the church to practice polygamy, who was born in the 1850s and was an adult while Brigham Young and John Taylor were both presidents, the second and third president of the church. Don't tell me he did not know that celestial marriage was equated to the plurality of wives or polygamy. To come out and say that celestial marriage, that is marriage for time and eternity, and polygamous or plural marriage are not synonymous terms, friends, it's an outright lie. Heber J. Grant knew that. He was practicing that principle based on the doctrine of celestial marriage. He understood exactly what it was. Don't tell me that he could not have understood that. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.